All right, what's up, guys? Welcome into a brand new episode of Chargers Weekly. Here with Matt Money Smith, who is back from his Hawaiian vacation. Money, a lot of talk about the birds chirping. You up yeah. early, getting that surf in. How was the trip? Uh, incredible. You know, like uh, as you're going to learn, Chris, you're about to go to Hawaii yourself. It's it's the best. The fact that we live here in Southern California precluded me from from going to Hawaii for a while. All our vacations were to not beach destinations. I was like, we got the beach right here. Why am I going to the beach? And then finally, the wife uh, managed to convince me just go once. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm good going to Hawaii every single year now. The aloha, just the vibe. The you can dial it back from you know ten to five, and that's the the level everyone's operating on. Is and of course you know because I like to surf. The uh, the waves were freaking incredible. We ended up getting a big swell there in the uh, the Waikiki area so ended up uh, catching some tasty waves brah but it's like uh, the it was, best place in the world to surf right it's it's one of them you know especially it all depends on the swell you either get lucky or you don't the first two days I was there there were not to bore everybody I'll get through this quick you know there we were not very big waves but the last uh four days we were there the swell came and and yeah I got I got some freaking big ones. So it was, uh, it was a lot, a lot of fun and cannot recommend it enough for all those that maybe have that mindset that, that I did for a while of why am I leaving the beach to go to the beach? It's a different beach and it's a different vibe and it's, it's the best. The only thing that sucks is leaving because you know, you're going back to the rat race and just kind of the way we operate here so differently than the way they operate there. Well, I will try to replicate. I'll wear a tank top. I'll get up at 5 30 AM Thursday. I don't know if I, I don't know if I'll get in the water and surf because I'm not on that level, but I well, really and you got no waves. You're going see that's the difference. You're going to a spot where there's no waves in the summer in uh, okay, Maui. So Maui's a winter wave, so you you have no. You're going to snorkel though. You're going to grab your uh, your mask and your your snorkel, and you're going to see some uh, some pretty sweet. I'm going to have you snorkel there at Napili and and report back and, and right. see some sweet things there. All right, can't wait. And you know it, it's the off season, so guys are on vacation, yeah. and there's not a ton to talk about in terms of new news. So I thought it'd be a perfect episode for a mailbag. And we had some great questions coming in yesterday that pouring in this morning. And let's just get right into a money, and we'll start with one that we've talked about a lot. And uh, we don't have to spend a ton of time on this one, but uh, this is from Eric. Curious to hear thoughts on the right tackle spot and who will win the hmm. job. And I think the last couple of weeks we've been uh, talking pretty high uh, about Trey Pipkins and the fact that Storm Norton's there too, and the coaches have a lot of trust. I, I don't know if it's between any other guys other than those two. Well, I think it goes back to what we've talked about repeatedly, and that's that we speculated, you know, that that they would sign someone, that someone would get cut, or someone would get healthy, you know, one of these vets, and. Not the case. So it's it's going to be Trey or Storm. I, I believe that. I don't know if, if, you know, unless the one other wrinkle is if a guard raises his hand um, and Filer kicks out to right tackle, if someone's performing really well at one of the interior spots and they feel a lot more comfortable putting that particular player between Slater and Lindsley and that way having, you know, the rookie Zion between Filer and, and Lindsley like they did with Slater next to Filer just to kind of help ease that transition to the NFL. So that's the only, that's the only path I see to it not being Trey or storm. And if I were to put odds on it, I would, I would say Trey is probably the favorite um, just because I feel like they, they know what storm is, has to offer. And I think they view storm as a real good backup. You know, if we're in a pinch, we feel good about storm being able to come in and give us a half or a game or something like that, but I'm not sure they want to, operate like they did last year 
where he's your starting right tackle, you know, from the, from the go. Yeah. I think two scenarios there. It, the, the first is what you said. If, if a guard shows up and says, Hey, uh, I can do this. And, and they believe in having a, one of these guys be a starting caliber left guard and you kick filer out, or if, the right tackle play during training camp and preseason is just not what they expected. Maybe then you also kick Filer out. But I, I, I would bet on Trey and Storm. Uh, Popper wrote about Trey in The Athletic last week. So if you want more insight on his offseason, check that out. So yeah, right tackle, man, it, that has been a topic of conversation among the fans more so than I think almost any question money. I mean, what, what else, what else is there? You know, I mean, it really is the one, and I think it's also because it's the, the last thing we remember, you know, we remember Max Crosby wrecking shop and just, you know, and that's, that's kind of what we keep talking about. You, you can't, you don't have to be elite, but you can't be a liability. And I think, you know, unfortunately for Storm in that game, they they found it, they attacked it relentlessly, and the Raiders succeeded every time they attacked it. And it really made for a long evening um, that Herbert was able to overcome despite the amount of pressure he was under from that side of the line. So, yeah, it's the biggest question. Um, and, and I think it's it's one that that's going to certainly have its attention on it all training camp long. And look, this like the thing with Trey, just to wrap it up, you want to talk about a coaching staff and a front office, you know, being able to kind of shake hands and feel good together. Yeah, that's a big swing, you know, a third round pick on a guy that you knew was going to be a pro. I think that's what Trey was, right? He was a third, third was round. he a fourth? I think he was third a third. Yeah. So that's a, that's an investment in a guy from Sioux Falls state that played at that level of competition that you're like, you know what? Our evaluators believe in the traits. We think we can get them going. So to have a coaching staff come in and develop what the front office saw and what their vision was, that goes a long way, you know, and, and having a, a team work together, front office and coaching staff, and, and really have them mirror one another when it comes to what they believe in. A quick story. I, I remember interviewing Trey the next day after he was drafted, and he told me his draft story. He was in the car on his way to a restaurant with his family. He thought that he wasn't getting drafted uh, that day in, in the third round. So he, he gets the call. Uh, usually families are in front of the television and, and they're waiting for that big moment. He was out to dinner. So he, it shows you what, what he thought about yeah. maybe going in the third round. It was probably a surprise to him. So you flash forward now, uh, again, we, we talked to the last two weeks. He, he looks like a different guy. We'll see if that translates to the field come training camp. Um, this next question, money from Jesse, are the bolts done adding free agents? Are you comfy heading into the season with these linemen and linebackers? It feels like the front office has addressed everything but one or two spots. Why start off the year with a glaring Achilles heel? So I, I don't view it that way. I think that they feel like this is the team going in, and, and they've made this a more complete team. Um, they brought in guys at the linebacker position that Brandon Staley is comfortable with. Um, they address both, both lines, in, in my estimation. When you bring in Sebastian Joseph Day and Austin Johnson, I, I think that there are some big names out there that may have been bigger impact players in like 2014, 2015. Uh, but, but I don't think there's anybody that they're counting on to come into camp and make a difference, save for maybe if there's an injury. I don't, I, I guess that I don't get the linebacker part of that. You, you got Khalil Mack. He's, you know, essentially a linebacker. He was coached by the linebackers coach in Chicago, who was Brandon Staley. So the way yeah. this defense is set up, he's an edge. Uh, Kyle Van Noy is an edge. There's two linebackers. And then 
You get Troy Reader, who was in the system and was successful with the Rams. And then we think about last year, you know, when when Eamon had his opportunity, he performed. Nick Neiman's a linebacker. He's one of the best special teams players, if not the best special teams player on the team. And when he got his opportunity, he shined. And then you got Drew Tranquil and, and Kenneth Murray. So I don't I don't quite know who's out there at linebacker that they're talking about uh, and they would think could come in like. I'm worried that one of those guys is, is going to have to try to fly through on the practice squad and isn't going to make it. You know, when you talk about lining up Murray, Neiman, Amon, Troy, Tranquil, five guys at the, you know, at kind of that inside linebacker spot that doesn't, you know what I mean? It doesn't get a lot. I'm comfortable with the linebacker. One linebacker They're, They play a lot of one inside linebacker and a bunch of edge. So like, that's, like I don't, I don't, I don't understand that. And the, what was the other one? It was linebacker and O line or D line. It, it said lineman. So I mean, it doesn't. Yeah, matter. I mean, they addressed the D line. They got Morgan Fox just recently. So that's your your third behind Bring Johnson back Covington and, uh, and Brock Robbie Covington. Yeah, that, look, someone's going to get cut on that. Yeah, like that. When we talk about making the fifty three, like someone's not going to be around, or someone's going to be try. You know, they're going to try to get them through on the the practice squad. I mean, you got Fox, Fajoko, Covington. Uh, Andrew Brown, who they signed off the Rams practice squad, Sebastian Joseph Day, Austin Johnson. We saw we loved the way Forrest Merrill looked in in preseason uh, and the penetration he can get get up getting upfield. They draft Tito. Uh, there's Tillery who didn't get his first. So like that. I don't know. I mean, I appreciate the question. I just don't quite get it. Um, and I think we already addressed the O line. And remember, they picked up Will Clapp. So, you know, they're that's nine. You know, that's that's nine guys when you go with the starting five. And then you add, let's just say the starting five is, is Pipkins. Then you add Norton six, uh, Sawyer, who they, you know, drafted and, and probably believe in seven, Hymas eight, Clap nine. And there's your, your 9-0 lineman. So I don't quite know what, what's out there. I looked at the remaining free agents in, in Rosenthal's top 100 just to kind of see yeah, who would be there. there. If, if there was an injury, let's say. Let, let's say if there's an injury to right tackle, you got – Dwayne Brown, Eric Fisher, Riley Reef. Those are like three dudes that. Yeah. Know, so, and, and Reef's the only right tackle. You know, Dwayne yeah. Brown's been a left his whole life. Fisher's been a left his whole life. Um, I know people think it's easy. It's not. You know, it's, it's not when you're 37 years old and you're Dwayne Brown and it's all of us, hey, get on the right side. That's, yeah, that's tough goes. So, that's, that's not ideal. Now, Reef, if he's healthy, you know, but he wasn't that great in Cincinnati. And uh, and got hurt. So and again, this, these are these are names like Indomitian Sue, like in 2014, sign me up. Julio Jones in 2012, sign me up. But, you know, I think those guys are out there for a reason. They probably don't want to go to training camp A and, and B. They're looking yeah. to, to sign with the contender, which the Chargers are a contender. But I don't know. I, I can see Julio Jones catching balls from Matt Ryan in Indianapolis and Sue yeah. going to a variety of places. And look, I mean, if it's a flyer. Like, you know, like last year when he was made available, I, I had hoped the, the Chargers would take a flyer on Odell because I mean, he's look, out there, we know too. The I didn't put him on here because. Yeah, but he's he's in. I mean, he's going to be he's going to miss most of the season. You know what I mean? But yeah, I think the Rams showed. Yeah, you know, what? we'll take a flyer on the guy because it's a flyer. And if it doesn't work, then you cut him and it's no big deal. So, yeah, I get that part of it. If you want to take a flyer on Julio or something like that. OK, but if you don't, I think it comes down to if you're Tom and his staff and Brandon and his staff. And you don't think they're going to beat out the guys that have been in your system for a year now, then there's no reason to bring them in and give them valuable reps that you'd rather give to the other guys that you feel better about. Yeah. All right. This next question, actually two people asked this in different ways. So we'll just try to tackle it 
in one. Okay. Uh, our guy, Gabe, who's your pick for Chargers breakout star of the season? And remember last week we did five players that we think are essential to the team. Maybe not necessarily breakout stars, but guys who we, we think need to have good seasons. Um, and then which Chargers player do you believe will have the biggest breakout season, which is open to an interpretation in 2022? Not necessarily who needs to, but who do you see actually doing it? That's from uh, our guy, Dan. So the, the name that came to me was Nas Adderley because it, I, I think the, the main reason Terry McLaurin got his extension, they kept showing uh, uh, scary Terry highlights in week one, yeah. that ridiculous catch he made that Nas should have went through off. Nas's arms. Yeah, th- that that just kind of put the light bulb in my head that, man, if, if Nas hits on you know, four or five of those this year, he could be that breakout star in the secondary that that puts this defense over the hump. Look, I'm going to I don't know if this is what they're looking for, but this is my answer. It's going to be Khalil Mack. You know, people are writing him off and and they're like, oh, you know, kind of going to your point, Chris, with what you were saying about some of the guys that are out there about, hey, if it's 2016, okay, Khalil Mack. Khalil Mack, last year when he was healthy, he was a wrecking machine. wrecking machine and he was wrecking so much shop that Robert Quinn at 34 ended up having a career year when he piled up all those sacks early so I don't think like I just don't think Chargers fans or I think the national media is a little bit more understanding of the kind of impact that this move is going to have you know the fact that that Bosa and it's one of the reasons why I don't like the PFF grades because there's just so much that goes into every single snap when you have 11 pieces moving on a play that it's hard to grade an individual player because you don't know what's asked of them. You don't know what they faced. You know, who's on that same line with them that's drawing attention versus the attention that's being paid to them. Khalil, like, I'm going to just connect to those two. Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa are going to be a problem, a giant freaking problem for teams. We know the value that is placed on offensive linemen, how high they get drafted, how much money they get paid, the draft capital that is exchanged for them, you know, and how few elite offensive linemen there are. Chargers have two elite defense. I believe Joey Bosa is the best all-around defensive end in the game. The best. No one is better at stopping the run and rushing the passer as a combined individual than Joey. And to have he and Khalil, and one of them is going to be one-on-one when the both of them are on the field, that's a problem. That To me, that's your breakout player. Those two guys are going to be all pros this year, and it's going to be the main reason why, as long as everyone stays healthy, this Charger team and this defense really excels. You know who's going to benefit the most from from those guys is Kyle Van Noy. I mean, he, he could have a career high in sacks yeah. potentially. Like, let's say, like, Khalil has 12 sacks. Joey has 10. I wouldn't be surprised if Van Noy had eight or nine, right? Just because of the double yeah. teams. And that's what he does. Like, that's what's, that's why the Van Noy signing was so huge is this guy every single year, his floor is typically five, you know, and if he's put in great spots, you're talking about a guy that's, you know, five plus sacks. There's always a couple forced fumbles. He might get his hand on an interception. He's got a ton of tips. He's really smart at the line of scrimmage and knowing when to pull up from his rush and, and just get those arms up, you know, because he recognizes he's not going to get to the quarterback. Absolutely. You know, Chris Rumpf could end up with a four to six sack year. So, like, that's – to me, I, I just feel like that's not being paid enough attention to. There, there isn't enough attention being placed on what it means to have those two guys – you know, if everything is is right with Khalil Max foot when he's out there, you know, come 
Sunday night and the Raiders are, are in or Sunday afternoon and the Raiders are in LA. Another guy, give me Isaiah Spiller on offense. I, I just think that that guy is going to uh, bring a dimension to the O and, you know, we've talked about him. Yeah, I hope. I, I think, you know, on, on offense to me, it's, it's, it's Everett. You know, I think we saw how often Justin Herbert wants to go to the tight end. He, you know, he, he targeted Hunter Henry a lot, especially in the red zone. He targeted Jared Cook a lot, especially in the red zone. Um, and to now have, you know, an athlete, you know, that's got a little bit more juice than, than Jared did last year there. Um, and, and you just, it seems like it's a name that keeps coming up. You know, people are, Hey, you know, Jared, we got, we got run after catch there. Now we got some action. And you think about what Joe Lombardi's done with tight ends, you know, in new Orleans, obviously with Jimmy Graham, you know, heading the list there. So I mean, I'm excited about Everett as well. His numbers have gotten better every single season and Herbert by far, I think the best quarterback he's going to play with throughout the course of a 17 game. Oh yeah. So, all right, next question from our guy, Jimmy Pham. Any chance Brown and Marks knock off both Kelly and Roundtree in this running back battle? So if you don't know, Kevin Marks from Buffalo and Letty Brown from West yeah. Virginia, two undrafted guys. Jimmy, I, I wouldn't take it out of the realm of possibilities. It, it just it comes down to special teams. And, you know, we don't know much about Kevin Marks and Letty Brown as, as pros, especially during OTAs and minicamp. We got to see the pads on in training camp and preseason. But listen, Marks had 33 touchdowns at Buffalo. Brown, 27 at West Virginia, 4.7 yards a pop. Back-to-back 1,000-yard season. So, you know, I think with Roundtree and Kelly, Kelly was drafted by the previous regime. Uh, Roundtree is going to have to show um, that he can excel on special teams. And then when he is given those opportunities – in the game that he can do something with them, um, especially because of the guy that we mentioned, Isaiah Spiller. Yeah, I think the the one thing that, you know, people get excited about, and they should, if it's a running back. What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to run. You better be able to pass protect. That's what it's going to come down to. So I know the numbers aren't there for Roundtree and for Kelly, uh, and you'd love to get more production out of them. A lot of that's a product of the offensive line. Um, certainly it's not just them running the football, but it's it's, you know, what holes are being opened. Um, but to me, it's pass pro, you know, and, and, and Josh is good in pass pro, you know, he does, he does a pretty darn good job there. So you better be able to block or else, you know, they just, especially on third down, they can't afford to put you out there. Um, so that's, that's the key, but yeah, look, I mean, we, we've seen, you know, year after year, Chris, right. We've seen running backs make it that are undrafted, you know, oh, yeah. Austin Eckler, Darius Bradwell, like running backs make this team that were undrafted. So I don't think it's, it's a great question. Um, and, and I'm not saying, no, they can't absolutely. They could, but the one thing they're going to have to do beyond running the football is, is being able to block. Yeah. And play also, special teams. As playing in that, yeah. That third phase. All right. Uh, this is from big red bolts fan. Uh, this is a fun question with how Staley's putting together the D it isn't going to fit into any of the current named systems since it's a hybrid system. And there are at least five players who will play up to five techniques. He's got a name for this one. The perfect name is the high H Y dash five defense, the high five defense money. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on the high five defense? Love it. I, I think, well, I, I think the one thing that people and this, look, this, this really kind of came into play. Um, when Wade and his three, four started kind of showing up, right. And, and started making some noise. And now our four, three and the Tampa two was being challenged by this three, four in Baltimore and three, four of Wade Phillips. And they're in subs so often, like you are in sub packages 
90% of the game as opposed to, you know, 50% or so. So it's like, I understand what they're saying. It's, you know, are they going to have five down linemen? You know, are they going to run seven up front? You know, are they going to run seven defensive backs now that they've got those two safeties with Derwin? You know, who can act as is that that one linebacker, maybe if you want to go a little bit smaller because of how dynamic he is. Yeah, dude, I like the name. I love it. But um, but I think almost every defense now is a hybrid defense, you know, except for one guy. <laughs> That's Gus Bradley. <laughs> there was there was one guy out there that is uh, is going to do very, very little other than play single high rush for rarely blitz. There's usually three linebackers. All right. Maybe there's two and a nickel DB out there. Um, you know, now we saw him for be forced into having those six, six defensive backs because of injuries to Denzel and, and, you know, and, uh, Oh geez, help me out. Who am I forgetting? Uh, uh who is our other linebacker? Uh, Jerron, help me out. Um, uh, wait, uh, Javis Brown. Javis Brown. There yeah. you go. Exactly. When when those guys both went down and Adrian Phillips, who's really a safety, was playing linebacker. Uh, that's the only time that Gus has ever shifted from what he normally does and wants to do. So that's unless Gus is your DC, you're doing a ton of sub packages and there's very little. Hey, this is what this defense is. Big Red Bolts fan uh, put a patent pending on high five defense and uh, see if anybody takes it. All right, uh, I was going through some of the replies last night. I think this is my favorite question, Money. This is from uh, Daniel Kabanak. If you were trapped on a deserted island with three current chargers, name the three that would give you the best oh, shot at survival and explain why. Oh, man. All right, so let's see. Three, let me see. I got the, well, one pops into my mind immediately. And to me, that's the easy one, and that's, Braden Fajoko because he's from the islands. So he's going to have work and knowledge on how we're going to survive being a, a guy from the islands. So that's my number one. Uh, number two, boy, oh boy. Let's see. Derwin. I just think he would keep my spirits up. You know, <laughs> so, he's, he's on my team simply because of his, his uh, enthusiasm, personality yeah. and, you know, keeping everyone like, together. I'm, I'm going to feel like, okay, we, we got a chance to get off this thing. Derwin this. says so, so I'm going to, I'm going to buy it. And, uh, and three, ah, oh boy. Now let me just go through the position group. So line, no, because they're going to eat everything and they, they need to sustain. So I, you know what? So that's the thing. I'm going to go Asante because I need someone that's my size that's not going to consume too much food. So we can, you know, we're probably going to have to, to live, you know, our sustenance is going to have to, to allow both of us to live. So somebody who maybe wouldn't be able to really physically overpower me and just snatch, not saying he couldn't, of course he could, but you know what I'm saying? He's, yeah. I, I, he's the only guy on the team that I'm bigger than perhaps, uh, or at least equal to um, in, in terms of size. So at least that way we could, we could share a little bit of food and I might be able to survive this nightmare. All right. So you got Fajoko, Derwin and Asante. And Asante. Derwin is the one commonality here because it's such a mental game. And, and I feel like I can't lose if Derwin's telling me we can't lose. Right. Right. So, right. so, so Derwin's number one for me just to kind of set the foundation. Number two is Justin Herbert um, because I feel like I need another leader on the island and he was president of the fishing club, right? In oh, there you go, in Oregon. So, and I think he was biology, right? Wasn't he a biology major, all academic, all American biology? Yeah, so, so at least you know, maybe help a lot you out there. A there. We, you may get us some food. And the third, Cole Christensen, a West Point oh, real leader. 
I want, I want a real leader there. So, so Cole Derwin and Justin versus Derwin, Fajoko, and Asante. Yeah. Again, like part of it's survival, things. man. <laughs> part yeah. of it's survival. You know, you got three <laughs> big dudes uh, that, that are going to be eating all that food, and there might not be enough. All right. This is uh, the second half of Daniel's question, which is very different, but still a good one. Uh, which player, past or present, would you like to most see return to the team as a coach? Well, obviously, Philip. Yeah, my like goodness. Philip is, Philip's like the no-brainer. Yeah, that's the yeah. no-brainer. He's a coach, you know, yeah. and he's a, he's a coach on the field, and he's a football junkie. So, yeah, that to me is an easy one. Yeah, I, I'd say Philip, too. I, I, you know what? Adrian Phillips is one that, that I think would be a good coach yeah. down the line, too. But not Smart. close to Phil. Not close <laughs> I mean, no. And there aren't many players in the NFL that are close to Phil that you would rather have come back. As they, like, I don't know. I'm trying to think of, save Peyton Manning. You know, that that's kind of off the top of my head. I cannot think of anybody, you know, that's the level that that Rivers was on, just seeing things, diagnosing things, knowing exactly what was going on on the other side of the football. Yeah, that that to me is an easy one. Plus, plus as a member of the media, like that's the sound bite you want, right? You want him at the podium 100%. every Thursday talking about everything that's going on, probably a 15, 20 minute presser. <laughs> Gosh, darn, dad gum. Dad gum. <laughs> dad gum. All right, next one from Scott. Uh, what would Guyton and Palmer have to do this season to make the Chargers offense a true Super Bowl caliber O? The Jamar Chase added that extra oomph and help, help Cincinnati get to the big game. Guyton and Palmer, in my opinion, must have a big impact. What do you think about that? Well, you know, I, it's not fair to, to put them in the category of Jamar Chase. You know, Jamar is is the Keenan Allen. Jamar is the Mike yeah, Williams. Jamar is like a top five receiver. Yeah. So you're talking about, you know, can they can they be the T. Higgins, who's also incredible? Like, that's your other Keenan Allen and, and Mike Williams. I mean, look, they I don't think that Super Bowl – a, you know, Super Bowl appearance or regular season success is going to be predicated on them having an exceptional year. I think they like, honestly, you want me to know what you want me to tell you what I think they need to do. Catch the ball. Justin's win, going to find him. You know? matchups. Yeah. Catch the ball when Justin throws it to you because he's going to put it in a great spot. And if you can catch it, then you'll be fine. You know, that to me is is pretty much what they have to do. And I think we saw. We definitely saw Josh Palmer do it. We saw Jalen Guyton do it most of the time. I think he's got a little bit further to go than Josh does. I feel better about Josh's hands than I do Guyton's right now. Um, but, of course, Guyton's got the speed. So, you know, if he's able to take that next step, which plenty of people have done, you know, I think about Tyra Williams, right? You know, just kind of – not Tyra Williams. Who am I – why am I blanking on these names? Oregon State, our guy are, are out of uh, – not Oregon State. Out Tyrell. of uh, West – wasn't it Tyrell? Tyrell, yeah. Okay, I'm thinking T. Billy for some reason, which is not who I'm talking about. No, um, yeah, not, Tyrell not, in 2018. Yeah, Tyrell Williams, exactly, yeah. who kind of came out of nowhere and just took that jump um, and became that deep threat, and his hands became a little bit more reliable. I remember you had that huge drop in the New England game that was a disaster. Um, but, yeah, that's it. Catch the ball, you know, because they're going to win their matchups. Wide receivers, the way the rules are now, it's so – I'm not saying it's easy, but the rules favor the wide receivers to, to get open. You know, the way that you can't put your hands. There's so many flags thrown for holding or pass interference. So just catch the ball. That's it. Take full advantage of Mike Williams and Keenan Allen and Gerald Everett on the field. At yeah. the same time as you, right? And you know, it. I think that those And Austin guys, Eckler. Austin Eckler. It, I think a positive development last year 
um, Palmer and Guyton caught touchdowns late in the year. I think they combined for like six touchdowns yeah. in December and January. So they were making plays late in the year. I, I think that's a, an indication that Palmer was really starting to get it and obviously get more playing time. And, and Guyton got in a, in a groove there. I remember that Cincinnati game where yeah. he, he had a big game. I think he had that, he had that huge touchdown, maybe Justin's best throw ever, right? That was the Guyton against the Giants. Against the Giants was to Guyton. Yeah, and look, Palmer called arguably the bet, the biggest touchdown of the year against the Raiders Yeah, on fourth down, right? Wasn't that – I think that was Josh that, that yeah. caught that ball, if I remember right. So one, right? Yeah. So, look, that's it. They're good, man. You know, catch the ball and all is well. Next one from Trey. Uh, can you do an update on where some of the developmental players are at? Uh, I know you've covered some, but we heard a lot about uh, Brendan Hymas and Eamon last offseason. It's been quiet on them this time around. I, you know, Muddy, I, I just think it's been quiet because there hasn't been much going on. Yeah, right? they're not in pads. They're not, not pads really, yet. So, I yeah. mean, it's been quiet on on both of those guys, but I, I don't think there's any reason to be discouraged. I think um, they're going to have a spotlight on them, certainly uh, in, in training camp and throughout the preseason. You Look, know, I think Hymas, Hymas is interesting because they drafted Sawyer, you know, so and they signed Clapp. So I think that's an interesting one to keep an eye on for sure. Um, you know, they didn't really do much in terms, they, they didn't do anything as a matter of fact, in terms of linebackers. So you feel pretty good about Neiman and, and, and Eamon coming back, you know, into that linebacker room, especially with how well, you know, each of them, I think acquitted themselves when they were on the field. So I think they'll be fine, uh, in a year better. Um, I think in, in terms of any other like, developmental guys that we haven't talked much about. Well, I'm just trying to think of who. You know, because like McKitty, they like McKitty, for instance, I think McKitty's going to take a leap this year. Yeah, I think, look, I, he's a, he's definitely, you know, going to get snaps. That's kind of the way I look at it. Like, are they going to get more or less snaps than last year? And, you know, I think in terms of Neiman, probably sane, uh, Eamon, maybe a little bit more, uh, you know, if if Kenneth is is slow to to recover from his surgery, you know, you could see Eamon out there a, a little bit more so. Just trying to think of who uh, developmental those late round because they didn't. I'm trying to think of what. Um, shoot, I wish I here. Let me just go experience. Let me go uh, here. My apologies for doing this while we're on. Let's see, Michael Banny, Cole Christensen, DeLuca, French, Hunter, Camp Moyer. Yeah, look, I think Camp Moyer is going to have a a shot. You know, if they want to carry four tight ends, you know, which they've done in the past. If you know that that spot between Horvath and and neighbors and, you know, Camp Moyer and, you know, one of these rookies, you know, whether it's uh, Stone Street or or uh, uh, who's the kid from Indiana, um, Krominick, you know, like I think that's that's a battle to keep an eye on. You know, they're not as uh, Forrest Merrill, I think, is, is we talked about him a second ago with all the signings. I think maybe he is someone who could take a little bit of a step back. Because, you know, he was just, they needed him last year, well, this yeah, year. I look with, at Fajoko as a developmental guy still. Yeah, I think so. I, I think I think that's a good one to bring up, too. Yeah, Fajoko, even though he's going to be in year three, um, I think you're talking about full practice squad two years ago, got into the rotation a little bit last year because of just, you know, the inability of, of the starters to, to slow the run down. Um, so that'll be an interesting one, you know, with bringing in those three new players on the defensive interior line. You know, is Fajoko going to be able to get as many or more snaps this year, for sure. Yeah, and you know, having that full off season, knowing what to expect in this this daily system. Yeah. Uh, next one from Alistair. It's early, but in your opinion, will a rookie 
undrafted free agent make the final 53 it's seemingly every year uh, an undrafted guy makes the 53 I don't know where it's going to come from this year uh, I think the running back argument that we talked about earlier is, is certainly something to maybe look at but yeah but they drafted Spiller and I just that's a good one though I mean I think boy oh boy because see like to me are they going to carry four running backs probably they did last year right so and a fullback they carried four and a fullback and a hybrid in steven anderson so i will say it's gonna be that's a good one it's gonna be harder this year for undrafted to make it i think so um i'm looking at it now and like if i had to like i don't think any of the undrafted old linemen are gonna make it because we got nine we went through that when we were talking about trey you know with the signing of clap they got those nine guys so i don't think there's room there it's not gonna be a linebacker i don't think maybe an edge um, if you want to carry another edge and just kind of keep that group fresh, if you're trying to, you know, you, if, if a guy raises his hand, uh, who's the, hold on. There's uh, the guy out of, here we go, out of um, Louisiana Monroe, Ty Shelby. Maybe that's a name to, you know, he's an edge, defensive end, outside linebacker hybrid. Uh, otherwise, I would probably look defensive back. I think like defensive back might be the one spot just because we know how much Staley loves them in special teams. If there's, there's so many of them, and you know what? The next question, we'll just get into it because I it, do you think Leonard or Jasir uh, makes the roster? That's or what are I mean. More like, developmental prospects for the future, you know? Yeah, that's, from Alex. that's why I was saying, like, you know, I could see an undrafted player, you know, making it ahead of them because they're sixth and seven, you know, they're later round picks. So if like Sebastian out of BC ends up making it as an undrafted free agent ahead of Leonard who goes to the practice squad. Like, that's not a big deal, you know, I, whether or not Leonard or, or Jasir Taylor get claimed. So that's probably where I think there's uh, a shot. You got Raheem Lane out of Indiana, who was a big special teams player for them. Um, a, he's a safety corner hybrid, played both positions uh, for Indiana. So that's a possibility. You know, that's that's probably where I would look. I, I think that's that's maybe the most likely. But I think I think you're right. I think this year is going to be tough. Staley and Telesco said this offseason they want a, a deep and complete team. And, and I think that they made strides towards that, which is going to make it a little bit more difficult. You had a lot of draft picks, too. I know you traded some picks, but guys like Leonard and Jasir, um, you're right, Money. Like a, a sixth and seventh round pick, you could put yeah. in that same, that same bucket as a UDFA. Yeah, because you got a 15-man practice squad. You know, that's still carried over. So you got the extra spots. And, you know, if you're putting them there, you feel good about them not getting claimed. And and it's not like, again, it's a sixth and a set. They're developmental players. Yeah. So, you know, and, and I think that goes for the, the running backs too. You know, I think if you feel like Letty, you know, who's a bigger back, you know, if you want a little bit more thump, you know, if you think he's a better fit, then, then Roundtree, and you're like, well, if we put Roundtree on the practice squad, I don't think anyone's going to claim him, so let's keep him there, and we can rotate these guys back and forth. So, yeah, that's a possibility, too. You know, I also think we, we look too much into this final 53 week one because, you know, even if an undrafted free agent makes it, and is he going to be active for week one? Do you even know what to expect? So, like, I, I almost feel like a 15-man practice squad, that's what we're talking about here. If we, if we can keep some of these guys who were late-round picks and undrafted free agents, development, develop them rather throughout the season and then get them out there. I don't know if, if a team who is striving to, to win a Super Bowl wants an undrafted free agent out there week one on the yeah. active roster. You know what I mean? Yeah, unless they really, really Earn show up. And, and, and look, like the thing with that, by the way, the only reason to do that 
is because you know they're going to get claimed and you don't want to lose them. And that's good point. Like they knew Eckler was going to get claimed if they did not put him on the roster. They knew good Easton point. Stick was going to get claimed if they did not put him on the roster. So that's kind of the way that that works is a lot of it's just it's defense. It's it's not offense. You're not putting them out there because you think they can make a huge difference on game day. You're putting them out there because you want to keep developing them and you don't want to lose them to another team that's willing to put them on an active roster because they don't they're not in that Super Bowl window per se, and they're still developing their roster. So they're more willing to take on someone like that and put them on their 53. Yeah, excellent point. Stephen Gillard, should the Chargers add another ultimate alternate uniform and match powder blue top with powder blue pants money? Mm, no. No, I don't think so. That would look a li- that's that's too smurfy. Um, you know, I think. The the powder blue as a jersey is great. I think the navies. See, I'm not even crazy about the all navies. I don't. I'm not a big fan of the one color top and pant. I just. I've never. I don't know what it is. Like everybody talks about the Ravens all blacks is one of the better uniforms in the NFL. Totally disagree. Just does not. Doesn't work for me. I need a. I need a good pant top combo. That's just how I'm wired. You know, 49ers red and gold. Chargers powder blue and gold. You know, Raiders, black, silver pant, you know, Chiefs, red top, white pant. Like there's there's something about the combos that that work, um, you know, gold or green top, gold pant Packers. You know, that's to me, that's sort of where it's at, as opposed to the uniform, pardon the pun, the uniform uniform. Now that the NFL has allowed teams to have different colored helmets, wouldn't you like yeah. to see that 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 Navy? Chargers helmet back for a game or two at some point over the next few years. I like um, believe see. I guess this is where I don't know if I'm just too old or whatever. Like I love the gold helmet, man, with the Chargers and the black script, you know, and the, the real thin font. I wouldn't mind like see that, that one either. That'd be pretty sweet. But yeah, I mean, look, the uniforms are great. You know that we love it here. <laughs> we talk about them a lot. So any anytime you want to bring up uniform talk, by all means, you want the all Potter Blues, bring it up. Not my cup of tea, but hey. Love talking about it. That's for sure. A Fergie, do you think Staley will rein in his go for it approach after his first season as head coach in the NFL, or was he just doing that out of necessity? Um, I don't think he would ever admit it, but I think he believed a lot more in his offense than his defense last year. You know, and I think that's it was you know the numbers certainly you know were able to bear that out. So I think when you're talking about okay. How am I feeling about my defense that's, you know, not performing on third down, that's lackluster against the run versus an offense that is shredding defenses regularly? I do think a lot of that goes into it. It's not just it's not just Staley's gut. That's not how the that's not how he operates. It's not, hey, you know what? I feel like I'm going to go for it here. No, he's looking at everything in context. And what what do I have at my disposal on each side of the ball? What do they have at their disposal? Do I feel better about my offense versus their defense in this particular situation than I would putting my defense back out there? Is the defense tired? Is it like, you know what I mean? There's so much. Is it thin? Is there not enough depth in that particular game? So I, the one thing I think Staley has done that has really opened, and, and you're going to see more of it. I think what he's done that, that others weren't willing to do is recognize that the risk isn't as great as people paint it out to be that it's a calculated risk. And if the calculation 
that you have at your disposal bears out that you're going to be, you have a better chance of success than failure, then do it. Why give the ball up? You know, I, I get it. And, and so I think that's still, look, and I think the, the team loves it. You know, the team loves it. Like it is, they like having that swagger. Hey man, this is what we do. Hey, defense, <laughs> you, what are you, third down, great. Congratulations. Stop us again. Cause you're not gonna like, I think there is something to that, to having that attitude and that disposition when you step on the field, knowing that if you don't get it on third down, you're not hanging your head and walking off the field. You're running back to the huddle and be like, whatever, we'll get it here. Um, and I think that goes a long way. There's a balance to it. If, if the defense is markedly improved, it's not going to be the same ratio. Like if you have confidence in that secondary and the pass rush and that defense is clamping offenses down, um, I think Staley will be more than happy to, to punt the ball. And also the, the punting has to be better. I was just going to say that. Perfect. Yeah. Exactly, Chris. The, 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 punting... the punting's better and the defense is better. Yeah, it's going to change. And it's not going to change the way I think Staley feels about Herbert and the offense. But I think there's going to be certain situations where it makes more sense to pin an offense back and let Mac and Bosa get after quarterbacks uh, as opposed to go for it in – you know, at your own 30 or at your own 40. I mean, it's, yeah. it's going to be game to game and it's going to be different situations, but I just, I, I agree with you money. I, I think that um, the more confidence that Staley and that defensive staff has in the players, um, the less that they're going to go for on fourth down. And it goes back, you know, Chris, when we were talking about drafting a punter, you know, and, and by the way, you know, and talking to some people around the chargers, they're super impressed with JK, super impressed. They're like this, we got a guy. So they feel really good about him. And it goes back to something I brought up and, you know, and whatever, call it dropping a name, but he's a punter. You know, when I was on with Pat McAfee and, and this came up and we were talking about Ariza before the draft when I was out at the combine and, and I ended up doing a show, you know, it came up and he, and he made the great point. And it's so obvious. And I had just never thought of it before. And I was like, what do you think, dude, you know, for the brand, you're going to get your punter drafted in the second round three. And he just said, well, he said, the only reason to draft the punter, is when you have an elite defense. He goes, that's it. He goes, otherwise, it's a waste. It's a complete waste. What, what good does it do when I put a coffin corner at the three and on first and, and 10, they're already at the 22 because your yeah. defense sucks. Yeah. He's like, so, so that goes to the point that you were making, right? That if you feel good about your special teams, in particular your punting game um, and punt cover, and you have an elite defense, then yeah, you're going to punt more because that, that works for you. You know, you have a good punter that's going to pin a team deep, and now you've got the the personnel to pin their ears back because they're deep and get after it and flip the field or create a turnover so yeah it's going to change because because the team is so different yeah and look you can do both you, you can you can punt and have confidence in your defense and you can also go for it in situations where it's 50 50 or maybe less and say listen man i got justin herbert so i'm good i'm good to go for it and as, as you mentioned money the the guys love it they get behind it you know and i think all three phases get behind it so it's not something where like the defense is wondering why the offense is on the field and vice versa i mean i i think that this is like a team decision like this is our identity this is how we're going to play ball and remember they weren't entirely you know confident in their kicking game either until dustin got here yeah. so when they were dealing with with Biscaino, you know as a rookie and in his first shot and he missed a couple extra points and field goals it's like okay well I don't really feel good about a 52 yarder here. I don't feel good about a 48 yarder. So let's just go for it. You know, we feel better about that being a successful play 
and converting on fourth and three than we do giving Tristan a shot from 47. So you know, it all, all comes into play. Next one from Benjamin. Who's under more pressure this season, Herbert or Staley? I'll just I'll answer this first by saying a quarterback and a head coach in the NFL are both under immense amounts of pressure. Always. And I and I think both of these guys don't really care about the pressure. Like they know what's at stake. They know who else is in the division in terms of coaches. They know who's in the division in terms of uh, other quarterbacks. Um, and they know they have a good team. They know they got to get to the playoffs. So, you know, who's under more pressure? I think, I think Herbert wants to get to the playoffs for the first time in his career. Staley wants to improve on that nine and eight mark and you leave it at that. I mean, I would just for me, I'd say Staley just because of, so much of it is, is pressure that's applied externally. And there are so many, and it's fair or not, you know, look. Younger just, coach versus franchise quarterback. And it's also just a roster that national media believes in. You know, there's a lot of people picking the Chargers to win the division. There's a lot of people picking the Chargers to make the Super Bowl. You know, if you want to look at Vegas and just the numbers, they're one of the favorites. And if you believe you have the players – that are, you know, unfortunately for coaches, if the players don't execute, it's not on the player. It's typically on the coach. So to me, that's where, you know, I guess you could craft that, hey, Staley could be under some pressure after missing the postseason last year, you know, losing three of his last, you know, however, I don't remember what it, what it, what it came down to, um, you know, the loss of the Texans and the Raiders, two of their last three losing those, and then coming into this season with a roster that a lot of people think is Super Bowl caliber, and not making the postseason or not making a run in the postseason, then you're going to have external pressure. You know, I don't think that that pressure will be internal. I think everybody inside the building believes this is someone we hope is their head coach for the next 20 years. You know, even though that doesn't really happen in the NFL, that's the hope and, and that's the belief. And let's not forget, you know, Sean McVay's first season with the Rams, you know, they went from a bad record to I think they were nine and seven or something like that. You know what I mean? Like they, they made that first step and then the jump came. So I think, you know, if you're looking at a similar trajectory, young coach, um, sort of new philosophies that that are, are work at, at play. You know, I, I think I think inside they believe that's the guy they found someone very similar to McVeigh. That's, you know, or Kyle Shanahan that's young and getting their first crack at this. And and they're darn excited about about having been able to get him a year early than maybe being a year too late um, and being able to work through that in that first year. And then and then here it comes. Saw a tweet last week. Uh, someone talked about Mike Tomlin being on the hot seat, and this is a guy who's never had a losing God. season in the NFL. So, like that's just, thing that ever. just that it's your it, it goes to what you said about just the external pressure at the head coaching position. Yeah, you can never be happy. This guy's a made. He's a made man. Right? He should never be fired ever. And people yeah. are talking about him being on the hot seat. <laughs> it's just it's it's and, and plus you know what are you going to replace him with? That's a funny thing. It's like okay, so what who are you going to go get? You know what what do you, what do you think what what, what are you doing here? So, uh, but I, I think, look, I think it's a fair question when with, with, with uh, great expectations, you know, comes great pressure. We, you know, and, and that's why they always say, you know, undersell overperform. Well, unfortunately the chargers aren't overselling it, but the national media is, and that's, and that's where the pressure comes in. Ask your connections. When is the next all in? I don't have the exact date, but don't you but it'll worry. be there. It'll I mean, it's, there. It's so good. And by the way, shout out to our man, Jason, uh, who got named by athletic for the 40 under 40 um, on their 40 under 40 list for the NFL um, 40 
individuals um, under the age of 40 that are that are making noise and Definitely. totally deserved what he's been able to do to build that department and and what our our media department does at the Chargers is just incredible. It's side look, it's second to none. It's the best in the NFL and probably the best in American sports. It's that good what Jason and Megan and that whole crew have been able to build through their social media and through their digital. Um, and all in all in is certainly a product of that. So there's no way. And plus it's got a sponsor. So of course it's coming back. Oh yeah. <laughs> Big congrats to Jason on that, man. It's it's well deserved. Absolutely. Uh, a couple more here uh, from Antonio. What kind of offense should we expect in 2022? Similar or very different from last year? I would say similar, similar. with wrinkles, right? Similar with some I, wrinkles. Yeah, I think similar. You know, to me, it, it's and that's it. Better be similar. That's the benefit. You know, <laughs> is that it's finally Justin Herbert in the second year of an offense that he's comfortable with. That's hey, that's the that's the lead there. That, that's exciting, right? To, to have Justin actually in a system for two years straight for as smart as he is to maybe take what he learned last year and up it a bit. Yeah. I mean, look, guess what? For 13 years, the Saints offense was similar. It was Sean Payton and it was Joe Lombardi and they ran the same stuff and people couldn't stop it. Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco. Doesn't matter who the quarterback is. This is what we're running on. What do you know? At the end of the year, they're running for four and a half, five yards per clip, uh, dominating time of possession. It's like, yeah, when you figure it out, you know, especially when you got a, a quarterback that can run it, it's going to look the same. Things look different in New England. Now, that's the one wrinkle. Yes. Seemed like Bill Belichick would always zag when everyone else was zigging or zig when everyone else was zagging. You know, I think about the year that the Chargers made the playoffs on that 12 and four year. And all of a sudden you got two fullbacks and they're freaking running down your throat. You know, just a ton of screen passes to, to James White with, with a big old fullback in front of them. And it was teams weren't built to stop it. They were too small. So that's the one exception. Miss um, Belichick would always seem to do that. But otherwise, yeah, guys do what they do, especially if it's successful. Final one. Flock with me. One, two, three. From New Jersey, looking to come out for that Monday night game against the Broncos. As a longtime Chargers fan, any recommendations of things to do when I come out for the game or places to check out in the area? Thanks and love the podcast, guys. Flock with me, one, two, three, money. That's an October game, so think about that. Yeah, um, I mean, it's so hard because I don't know what people are are into, right? Um, I would say... You know, one of the great things about L.A. is is obviously entertainment. So we have and I think the one thing that gets overlooked is they think about Hollywood, but they forget about music. This is where all the music labels are. And this is where some of the most historic music venues are. You know, the Troubadour, the Whiskey, the, the, the Roxy, the Greek, the Hollywood Bowl. So be sure to check the concert calendar. Um, see if there's someone you're into playing one of those iconic venues uh, in particular. Like to me, the, the big ones are like for me, the big three, uh, actually, no, there's a lot more than that. But like, if I can, if you can catch a show at the Troubadour for a small club, I think it's the best sound of any club I've ever been in. Um, if you want atmosphere, the Greek or the Hollywood bowl, if there's somebody there outdoor venues that are just glorious, these giant, um, outdoor venues in, in the middle of LA that are, that are special. Um, there's a couple other venues, John answer for that's fantastic. Um, but I would do that. Number one, two, um, obviously there's iconic food, but I just don't know, you know, what are you into? 
you know, to me, you got to get a, you got to get a sandwich at Philippe's, you know, you just got to, you got to get that French dip. They invented it. It's a super cool place right down the street from Dodger stadium. And Hey, if the Dodgers are playing, get the freaking Dodger game. Talk about an iconic Mecca of a venue. Yeah, NLDS or exactly how it lines up. But... Get in there, get the Dodger stadium. So, uh, there's a couple on the look. I, I also think I wouldn't hesitate to get down to Orange County, you know, and just kind of see how pretty it is down where we live, Chris, and, and check out, you know, Seal Beach and Huntington Beach and Newport Beach and Corona Del Mar and Laguna Beach. You know, don't be afraid to just kind of walk the streets right there close to the coast and uh, and, and take in. Especially October, know. it's beautiful at the beach, man. Perfect. Yeah, it's perfect. You know, a thousand steps, you know, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, check check that out. If you're a real football head, maybe maybe Lincoln Riley's in town. Maybe maybe you go to the Coliseum on a Saturday. Maybe, there you go, uh, Coliseum or Rose, Rose Bowl. Bowl. Yeah. yeah, if UCLA, you get to go to the Rose Bowl. If it's USC, great call, great call. If it's USC, you get to go to the Coliseum. Two iconic football venues. There you go. Uh, certainly works. June 30th, money in the appetite for Chargers football is, love it. is alive, man. An hour of questions. Love it, love it. No doubt. Uh, certainly appreciate everybody and all the all the questions. Makes it easy for us when. Uh, you know, we're just kind of waiting until that third week of July to, to really get going again. Everybody's yeah, on their not... break right now. You're going to Hawaii. I just got back. Players are taking vacations. Justin Herbert's getting slimed by the people over at Nickelodeon. So that, was, certainly... hey, that was fun to see. It was great. That was fun to see because he, he got great. slimed earlier in the year winning that award. And he's become a Nickelodeon uh, yes. favorite. No, we love it, man. Love it. That's the that's the generation you want. You know, yeah. get the I remember, you know, being a, a little kid and and uh, a real little kid um, like I, you know, and, and I was he was he was kind of working his way toward the tail end when I remember Walter Payton growing up, you know, just becoming my favorite player and how excited I was about Walter Payton and, and Jim McMahon. And, you know, I cut my hair and got it spiky and used to wear a headband that said Roselle on it, you know, things like that. When I was a kid. <laughs> so, you know, that's you have, please. Do you have a picture of that? I think I do somewhere because, you know, it's not digital. So yeah. it's like my parents have. But, yeah, they I know NFL Network somehow you know this guy mark brady who's awesome somehow figured out oh, how to track work. down my mom and uh, reached out to her and said hey we need to get some photos of matt as a kid and some bears gear if you don't mind and so you know there's pictures of me as little kid with that i don't know if people remember there's there used to be this little thing called hutch and you could buy the jersey pants oh, yeah. and helmet that was yep. just plastic like you couldn't play football in it but you could dress up in it so i had the little hutch stuff and um yeah i mean that's and that's what herbert's you know, afforded the chargers is to have that individual that appeals to that age group. Um, and it's just, it's so cool to, to be that young. And it's one of my, it, it truly is my favorite thing about going to SoFi is when I see the, the little kids and their Derwin James and their, in their Joey Bosa in their, you know, what I'm sure is going to be Khalil Max and JC Jackson's and Austin Eckler jerseys. It's just so much fun. To, to see those tiny little kids in those jerseys, just taking it all in and how big it must seem to them and That's how awesome. crazy it must seem to them and overwhelming. So yeah, totally. Next generation. I, I think Justin's Jersey is in the top 10 of overall Jersey sales too, at this point too. I saw that. Yeah. I think they just released last month's and it was, uh, I think it was number seven or number eight. It came in. So yeah, seven or eight. We'll take it. We'll take it. All right, guys, it's going to do it for us. I'll, I'll be coming to you from Hawaii next week. Yeah, I don't, I don't know go. if I could, I can, you know, maybe I'll rock a tank top and some. Yeah, some of course you can. It's going to be 80 degrees. I'll line up. Do it at Knock 5 it out. a.m. Knock <laughs> it out. Birds chirping. You'll be right there on the Kanapali beach uh, yep. in the background at the pool. 
get yourself a nice Kona coffee and uh, you'll be all good. That's it. Give me some recommendations, bro. Oh yeah, they're coming. That's going to do it for us, guys. This has been Chargers Weekly. We'll see you next Thursday.